0: Okay, so here's the plan this morning. Let me grab this uh, stool while I are it, too. Here's the plan this morning. We are finishing up our series in Proverbs, and uh, it has exactly been 20 weeks since we began this wonderful book. And, uh, and so um, what I've been having you guys do each week is, of course, read this one passage from chapter 1, verse 7, and so we'll start off today the same way. And so um, I need you guys to read it loud and proud because it's the last time you're going to read this as a group this morning. So uh, put uh, chapter 1, verse 7 up there, and we'll read this together as a group. As we do each morning for Proverbs, so um, go to my next slide up there at the back. You guys pay attention at the back? Let's just wait until they notice that we're waiting for them. There we go. There we go. All right, so we're going to read this together. So uh, read it with me on the count of three. One, two, three. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So you should have this verse memorized by now, I would hope. But um, we've been talking about this idea that Proverbs is a book that if you look at the book on the service, you would think it's just like an advice book. It's just like, here's the way to do this. Here's the way to do this. Here's the way to not do this or not do this. But if you think about Proverbs, the whole thing comes back to the fear of God. And we're going to wrap up with this idea again today, so it really is imprinted in your minds after we leave today. But um, today we are talking about probably the most relevant topic to high school teenagers today. And it's this. It's dating and marriage. All right, It's dating and marriage. Now, I know that when I say that, um, your first thought is, your first thought is, well, okay, we're talking about marriage. I'm only in high school. Why are we discussing marriage when I'm only a high school junior or senior, sophomore or freshman? Um, let me just say it this way. I have always told my students, listen up. I've always told my students that I work with that the way, the way you date will be the way you marry. Okay? The way you date will be the way that you marry. In fact, um, I had a student that, that came and visited me the last, uh, the last year or so. He's one of my former students um, from a previous church, and um, he's married now, and he said this to me. He said, I always remember that you said the way you date is going to be the way that you end up marrying, right? And, uh, and so he quoted me from like 10 years ago, and I'm like, you remember me saying that? And he's like, yeah. He goes, I totally took that to heart, and I decided to, to apply that to my dating life, and now I married this awesome godly girl, and I'm going, that's, that's great. That's awesome. I had no idea you guys actually paid attention to what we talked about up here, right? And so, um, so that was encouraging to hear, but I always tell people that the way that, you, the way that you date is going to impact the way that you marry, who you marry, the kind of person that you are when you get married. Um, my advice to you is this. Most teenagers your age just decide, okay, I'm just going to date, just kind of casually, just kind of play the field. I'm just going to date maybe anyone and everyone, no qualifications. And, uh, and what they do is they end up having a train wreck of a marriage and a train wreck of a life because they've approached it that way. So my advice to you is this. Listen, my advice to you is this. You start with what kind of marriage do you want to have? Try to envision that. Try to picture that. And then let's work backward from that. So picture in your mind what kind of marriage do you want to have in life What kind of family do you want to have in life? Then let's work back from that because what you picture down the road is going to impact how you date people and how you date someone or choose not to date someone. So when you have that certain image in your mind of a guy, ladies, of a guy who actually has a job, right, then you might not date the guy who's a complete and total loser, right? I'm just putting two and two together here for you. So the way that you date is going to impact the way that you marry. So the plan this morning is uh, I'm going to yell at you guys for like 25 minutes. Then you'll have your discussions at the very end here. So just bear with me on this. Um, The first point I want you guys to understand this morning, if you write stuff down, write this point down. It's this. Next slide, please. Marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. Marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. And you will not succeed at marriage if you don't get this first point. You will not succeed at marriage if you don't get this idea right here. Because so many of you in the room, you think that the purpose of marriage, the reason why God gave us marriage, is just to bless you, just to make you happy. That's why God gave us marriage in your minds. That is not why God gave us marriage. That might be a benefit or a blessing of marriage, but it's not the purpose of marriage. It's not the purpose of marriage. If someone said to me, what is the purpose? I would say it is this. It's to paint a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. And what I mean by that is if you look at Scripture, especially Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, he says that the man is supposed to love his wife just like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so there's all these references to marriage being like the relationship that Christ has with the church, and here's what's really interesting. Whenever we do a a series or a talk on sexuality or dating or marriage, I can sense in the room that you're paying attention, right? You're like, okay, I want to listen because this is important. This is relevant to me in the here and the now, so I want to pay attention because this pertains to me where I'm at right now in life, and so what high schoolers tend to do is If I say we're doing a a sex talk, if we're doing like a dating talk or a marriage talk, they they tend to go, okay, be quiet. I want to pay attention, right? And, in fact, in years past, I would actually advertise this kind of series. We'll do like a whole talk or a whole series on marriage and dating. I would see new kids show up into the Outback just for that series. Wouldn't see them again ever after that or before that, but just for that series because they want to get that information, that key to unlock the secrets of relationships. But here's what I would say to you if, if that's you. If that's you, you are completely missing the purpose of why God has set up this thing called marriage. Because when you really think about it, doesn't it seem like some kind of a cruel joke that God's playing on us that He would require, He wants men who are totally one way to share lives with girls who are complete opposites, right? doesn't it appear on the surface like God's making some, some joke of us when it comes to this whole marriage thing. And yet, that's part of his design. I mean, why has, he, why has he set things up this way? I think he set things up this way to show you a living picture of the gospel as you live out your life with someone in committed covenant relationship. Because here's what's going to happen when you get married. When that covenant, when that commitment is tested, and, and you have to forgive that person for how they sinned against you. In that moment, you're reminded of how Jesus, how you sinned against Jesus. And so as you have to forgive your spouse and show grace and mercy to your spouse, you're reminded of how Jesus showed grace and mercy to you. And when you do that, it, it, the gospel begins to take root in your heart and your life. This is the whole purpose of marriage. Because here's what happens with you guys, though. You get so infatuated with the picture, the the dating relationship, the shadow, so to speak, that you completely miss out what it's pointing to. You totally miss out because here's what happens. We discuss dating, sexuality, and marriage in here, and everyone's like, okay, I want to hear this. But the rest of the year, we're talking about that relationship that that thing is pointing to, and many of you just go, yeah, you completely check out at that point. You totally check out at that point. And so I want you to get this. The whole point of dating, marriage, the whole point of that completely points to a relationship with Jesus. So the first passage I want to look at is chapter 18, verse 22. And here's what it says. It says, he who finds a wife. Go to the next slide, please, up there on the screen. He who finds a wife. Finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So the main point is this. Marriage is a gift from God, not a curse. Not a curse. So for the young men in the room who see marriage maybe as a necessary evil, this verse is for you. If any guy ever refers to his wife as a ball and chain or an old woman or whatever else word you want to use, um, this verse totally flies in the face of that. It says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, I want you to get this. I began thinking this week, I really wonder how many of you really think that verse is true. I wonder how many of you really see that verse as being true because I know that the divorce stats in this room are, are pretty high. And I know that because all I have to do is go look at, at your last name on our on our student uh, attendance deal, and look and see what your parents' last name is. And I would say it's about probably 50%, probably in this room. Now, I am not in any way bashing anyone's families this morning. Please hear me on this. I know there are circumstances. There are all kinds of things that maybe your parents couldn't control, or, or one you know, mom or dad could not control, and it's led to divorce. I understand that, and I get that, and I empathize with you in that. But I want you to know, though, that in spite of how it came about, whatever's happened in your families, whether it's immediate or extended family, it's going to impact how you see marriage. It's going to impact your view of marriage. And so I wonder this morning, how many of you really believe this this verse? Because the way that you have seen marriage be played out has really been tainted, really been tainted as far as what God wants you to see it as. And I wonder how many in the room are thinking to yourself, am I ever going to find someone Am I ever going to be able to have a successful marriage that that honors and fears God? Because I'm not sure if that's even possible. I'm not sure it's even anyone's really doing that. And so I wonder how many of you wrestle wrestle with that this morning. So this morning what I want to do is I want to spend a little bit of time talking to the ladies first. So ladies, get ready. And then after that we'll talk to the men. And so um, I've got several passages for the women. So ladies, really pay attention. And uh, guys, this will be for you as well because this will be the kind of girl that you're seeking after as well. So the first passage I want you to look at, this is actually in a different book of the Bible, but we'll still look at it anyway, is Song of Solomon chapter 8 verse 9. And this passage I love because it's, it's referring to um, this group of, of young men, but it's referring to their younger sister. Like, she's not quite at the marrying age yet. Back then, there was no dating age. It was like, okay, you're a, gr- you're a little girl, and then now you can get married. And everyone's like, what? But in our culture today, you've got this, this gap of, say, 15, maybe even 20 years of you, you, you're a little girl, and then all of a sudden, you become kind of a young woman. You can date people, and then eventually, you get married when you're like 30, right? For some people. But back then it was like, you're a little girl, then you can get married, right? And so, so what happens is what happens is these, these young men are saying, this is how we're going to treat our younger sister if she is one way versus the other way. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, this verse is, re- is referring to two different kinds of girls, and here they are. There is the one who is like a wall. She is, she is sturdy. She is one who has character and discernment. She has wisdom. She knows who God is, she fears God, and she knows what she desires in a husband. And that kind of girl, she knows to keep certain kinds of guys at bay. She's like a wall. So these guys try to pursue her, and they literally run into the wall, okay? And they're injured afterwards. And, and so she knows how to protect herself from these kinds of advances, and so she's she's like a wall. And so there's this other kind of girl who they call a door. Pretty obvious what they're implying here. This kind of girl, this kind of girl is someone who has no character, no wisdom, no discernment. And and this kind of girl, is, this leads to rules. This leads to restriction. I mean, look at what they say in this verse. They say, if she's like a door, if she just kind of lets any guy just sort of come on in and... and we're going to enclose her with boards of cedar. They're going to put her in a box. All right? And I'm amazed at how many uh, parents will call me and will say things like, okay, my, my daughter's just really out of control, not really sure what to do. She thinks she should be allowed to date whoever, whenever, wherever, and I as the father have a problem with that. Is it okay if I have a problem with that? And I'm going, Yes. It's very okay to have a problem with that. Look at this verse. Look at this verse and what it says. You should put her in a room and lock the door, right? And so, and so for the teenage girls in the room that have an issue with how your parents, listen to me on this, how your parents are, are sort of restricting you, here's the deal. You've got to show that you can handle freedom if you're going to get any freedom. If you show in your behavior that you can't handle freedom, you're not going to get any freedom. You're not going to get any freedom. If you can picture this, if my son's four years old, if my wife is cooking dinner in the kitchen and my son keeps running in and putting his hand on the hot stove over and over and over again, we're going to say, you can't come in the kitchen anymore. That's going to be a rule. And so if you're a young girl and you're constantly choosing loser guys, horrible boyfriends, bad character dudes, then your dad has a right to say, you know what, we're going to put you in a cedar box, right? And we're going to lock you up for a while until you get some character and some discernment on who you choose to date, right? I'm being a little bit extreme here, but I want you to get this. This verse is not being light when it comes to this kind of thing. And so the first kind of girl, the wall, this leads to freedom, The second kind of girl, the door, this leads to restriction. This leads to rules. And when your parents give you those kinds of rules, they are right to do so. They're right to do so. I'm a dad of a little, little less than two-year-old girl. And I'm actually kind of afraid for the guy who first tries to date her. I'm not afraid of him. I'm afraid for him. Okay? And I mean that because I'm worried about how I might treat that first guy, all right? I'm a little concerned about that. And he should be too. But here's the deal guys, that's that's a father's response, that's a father's role, a father's responsibility. And so I've just been amazed at at girls that I see who think they deserve freedom when they've shown no ability to handle it. None. And until you show that you can, you shouldn't have any freedom in th- these areas. The next verse is actually in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 22. Go ahead and turn there if you can. And this verse says, I love this verse. Proverbs has some great one-liners. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Everyone is just, yeah. I love this verse. This is a great verse. What the point of this verse is, it's saying that a woman's beauty, it's impossible for a female's beauty to make up for bad character. If she doesn't have character, if she didn't fear God, she didn't have character, it's impossible for her her beauty to make up for her lack of character. In fact, I was preparing this verse uh, this past Thursday, and I go on Facebook for a minute. And Aisley Ronslaben puts this one status that I wanted to actually include as a quote this morning. So if you can put the next slide up, which totally summarizes this verse. Put the next uh, slide up, if you will. And this is what it says. Hot is not overrule crazy. A perfect summary of this verse, right? A perfect summary of this verse. And I even gave Aisley credit for that. So, but this totally summarizes what this verse is trying to say. What I want you to get here is that you, you would never take, I would never pull off my gold ring here and say, I'm looking for something, some place to put this where it's going to have all of its value displayed and all of its glory. And I, would, I would not stick it in the snout of a pig. That just wouldn't happen, right? And in the same way, the, the, the girl who is beautiful on the outside, everyone thinks she's gorgeous. If that girl has bad character, no judgment, no fear of God, she has completely canceled out her beauty real quick real quick and what you have to understand this morning guys is that beauty doesn't cover beauty does not cover for bad character but bad character can cancel out beauty beauty does not cover over for bad character but bad character can completely cancel out beauty I think every guy in the room can attest to the idea they can They can see a girl and they can say, wow, she's beautiful, she's gorgeous. Then she opens her mouth and you're like, not anymore, right? Not anymore. Totally lost it, right? And so um, I think this is especially, uh, for you guys in the room, this is especially um, uh, pertinent for you because it's very easy at the age of 16, 17, 18 years old to be so enamored with someone who is just physically beautiful that you put everything that really matters on the back burner. And you get totally in a rapture with her, phys- with her physical beauty. And, that, and that's what you go for. And that's who you go after. And you become blinded by, by that with her. Look at uh, chapter 21, verse 9. Chapter 21, verse 9. And we'll show you two passages here back to back. 21, verse 9. Also 21, Verse 19. Some more great one-liners from Proverbs. Verse 9 says, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. And if that wasn't enough, 10 verses down later he says, It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Now, he is talking more about being a wife here. And, uh, and this is the kind of woman who argues about everything. This is the kind of female who just has an opinion about her own opinions, right? Like she just has an opinion stacked on top of other opinions, stacked on top of other opinions, right? And, and she just wants to quarrel and argue about everything. Now, I'm not saying, ladies, I'm not at all saying that you shouldn't or can't have an opinion. I'm not some chauvinist pig up here, okay? But I do want you to hear that there's a certain kind of woman this is describing who just has to argue and quarrel and be angry over every little issue that comes up in the marriage. Everything. Everything is a fight. Everything is an argument. Everything is a slamming of the door. And when this kind of person, when this kind of woman exists in a marriage, Here's what the man tends to do. The man just totally goes passive. The man either decides to get real aggressive and fight back, or he just totally goes passive and, and has no opinion, nothing to say, because she always wins anyway, right? And notice here in the, in the passage it says that these two situations, living on the corner of your housetop, on the corner of your roof, or living in a desert is actually better than living with this woman. Like, that's an upgrade, right? You're like, okay, I'd rather be in the desert with sand in my teeth and my beard, starving with no water, than be living with this person. That this is what he's saying. It's an upgrade. And because this person makes this person's life miserable. And so, I want to be really, really honest with, this, with you this morning and, and talk about I think there's certain sins that men can lean towards in a marriage, certain sins that women can lean towards in a marriage, and um, here's what they are, and I think what happens in a marriage is that, especially when you have kids, um, we were discussing this last night, Courtney and I were, it's like when you first get married, you know, you have a few arguments here and there, a few little disagreements and whatnot, and you have your, your spats and your fights and stuff like that, but for the most part, you kind of get through that, and, and you're okay, but then you have kids, all right? Then you have kids, and what happens when you have kids is a whole different ball game. Once kids are introduced into the mix, here's a a, a fairly typical day for me and my wife, all right? We get up, we feed the kids, um, I get ready for work, I go to work, and she's home with the kids all day, right? I get home about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, she goes and counsels people for 5 hours in the evenings. So I get home to watch the kids at 3, and usually when I walk in the door, she's a little frazzled, Right? And it's not her fault. It's just that we have two crazy kids. We have two insane, crazy kids. And, and so what normally happens in a given day is that in, in a course of like a half hour, I will hear my daughter scream and cry at least five times at something Landon is doing to her, okay? And, and I have to go and referee and say, like, Landon, why are, you, why are you taking her stuffed animal? You don't need a stuffed animal. You're four years old. Why are you stealing that from her, you know? And so there's this constant refereeing that goes on, this constant battle that takes place with, with our kids, and you just feel, you just feel drained. Like you just feel like totally worn out, totally worn out. And so then whenever I walk in the door, she never says this, but it's kind of implied. It's kind of like, where have you been all day? And I'm like, I've been at work, you know? And then, um, and then I deal with the kids for a few hours, then she comes home from work at like close to nine o'clock, and then I'm like, where have you been all day, Right? And so they've been giving me a run for my money as well. And so having kids just totally stresses you out sometimes. I love being a dad, love having kids, but it can really wear on you after a couple of days, right? And so um, so, we, so we have this thing where we kind of understand that about each other. And, um, and I understand that as a dad, my sin could lead me into passivity as a father. Just wanting to escape, wanting to get out, wanting just to go, hey, you know what, kids? Here, Watch this movie. I don't care if it's rated R. Let's just, I'm just going to go and, you know, I'm just joking. That doesn't happen in my house. Alright? it's not happen in my house. But just watch this film so I can go and study or do whatever I have to do. And the same thing for Courtney. Like she, you know, for her, the sin she can fall into is just being like really argumentative, really opinionated, really aggressive in how she wants to view things, how she wants to see things. Because the, the wife, here, guys, is, her, her leaning is going to be more towards the home. And she's going to care a lot about what happens in the home, which is how God designed her. And so she gets, she's a, she has opinions. She wants to see things done a certain way. And the guy tends to be just like, the more she cares about stuff, the less he tends to care about stuff, right? And so when she says things like, why are you so passive? He says things like, well, why are you so opinionated, right? And, and she might even say something like, well, I'm so opinionated because you're so passive. And he might say, well, I'm so passive because you're so opinionated, right? And so round and round and round married couples go. And here's the reality, guys. You will not break that cycle if you don't just repent and admit that you're both sinners and turn to Jesus. That cycle will kill a marriage. It will kill a marriage. And so... The next one I want you to see is is, uh, 27, verse 15. And this one actually is uh, a continuation of the previous theme. 27, verse 15, it says, A continual dripping on a rainy day, and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Anyone here ever heard of Chinese water torture? I actually Googled a picture. I don't have a picture to show you, but basically what it is is the Chinese would take your head, and they would make it immobile where you could not move your head, and they would drip water on this one spot on top of your head over and over and over and over again until so you literally went insane. That's how it works. And, um, and this, is, this verse is describing that. It's like after a while, it just feels like a droplet. Then it begins to feel like a little tiny pebble. Then it begins to feel like a small stone. Then it begins to feel like a large granite boulder just hitting the top of your head. And that's what this kind of woman is. She just drip, 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 drip. And you're just like, ah! Right? And that's what the relationship is here. Okay? And so um, I want to tell you real quick... uh, I'm really careful how I talk about my own parents in this room because I don't want to dishonor my parents at all. But if I'm going to be honest, I have to tell you some element of kind of where I come from in these areas. And so um, this is the picture in my home of how things played out between my mom and my dad. My parents are still married today, thank God. Um, They've somehow made it after all these years. They don't have a lot of visible love for each other. It's a pretty cold, dry just stagnant marriage, that's what it is. They both claim to be believers. Um, I believe that they both are, but I believe that my dad has just always chosen to be a very, very immature Christian man. That's just the bottom line. And so um, the way things would look in, in my family on a, on a typical evening was Dad's downstairs watching TV until dinner, until dinner is ready, and then she says dinner's ready. He comes upstairs, he eats dinner in virtual silence. And then he puts his plate next to the sink, walks back downstairs to watch more television. That was a pattern in my family. Mom also worked a job as a teacher in a Christian school. So she had a full-time job as well, just like he did. But he would rarely lift a finger when it came to what he would call domestic duties, right? And there's a lot of guys that see things like, guys see it as like that's woman's work and this is man's work. But here's the reality, guys. In our culture... Women are going out and getting jobs as well, and so as a man, if you're going to ask her to do half of your load, you've got to help her with her load. That's the deal, all right? And so as a man, I feel like my role as a man is to help my wife any way that I can. Can I go to the store for you? Can I help you cook? Can I help you clean the kitchen? Like, what can I do for you to help you out? Because you're, you're carrying part of my load, and I want to help you carry part of, of your load as a woman, That's the way it's supposed to work. If you walk into a marriage and think to yourself that this is woman's work and this is man's work, you are doomed from the beginning, okay? So put your chauvinist thoughts on the back shelf, boys. That's not the way it's supposed to work in a marriage where um, you're trying to lead her and and fear God. Um, Look at uh, chapter 31, verse 30. All the way at the end of the book, it says... Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And the main point there is, outward beauty fades, inward beauty grows. Outward beauty fades, inward beauty grows. There is absolutely nothing wrong with beauty. God created it, God made it. But if it's where you put your, all your stock, if it's where you put all of your stock, ladies, it's complete vanity. It's, it's, it's incomplete. It's, it's, it's totally vain. Totally vain. If you walk through the grocery checkout aisles, you can, you can find 1,000 beauty tips in, in those magazines. But not one of which is to, to fear God, to, to uh, surrender to Christ, follow Jesus. Not one of which is anything related to following Christ. And so you can sit there all day and try to, you know, paint the outside. Um, I'm amazed at how the, at the increase of, of plastic surgery has gone up in the last, say, 20 years. It has gone up exponentially because women are being fed the lie that the only way they're going to get a guy is to look a certain way. That's it. And here's the reality. I understand why they feel that way because that's what most men in their shallowness say they want, Right? And so women are responding to that. But if that's, if that's what you focus on, it is in complete and total vanity. So ladies, as we, as we kind of wrap up the ladies portion of, of today's talk, I want to ask you one question that's really simple. This verse refers to a fear of the Lord. So what do you fear more? Do you fear God more or do you fear being single more? Do you fear God? Or do you fear the idea that you may never find a guy? Which do you fear more? Because here's what I want to also say to you as well. You need to walk through the next portion of your life with this idea in mind. I would rather be single and follow Jesus than be married and not follow him. I would rather be single and follow Christ then be married and not follow him. Because what's going to happen, if you don't enter the next phase of your life with that idea in mind, you're going to marry a guy who you should not marry, a guy who does not fear God, a guy who does not want to follow Jesus. And I will tell you this, that the way he he relates to God, if he doesn't fear God, that will carry over into every aspect of your life, and he will destroy your life. He will destroy your life. I've seen it happen in in so many ways, in so many ways. So would you rather be single and follow Jesus or be married and not follow him? What choice would you make? Now, the rest is going to be for the guys. Now, um, look at chapter 11, verse uh, 17. And here's what it says. It says, a man who is kind benefits himself but a cruel man hurts himself. There's a lot of pressure on guys, I think, to you know, be a certain kind of guy, to be macho, to be, uh, you know, some guys will take it upon themselves to treat women negatively, and like that's a good thing. And a lot of guys do this kind of stuff, as you know. But this verse is saying, look at the, at the way this verse is written. It says, a man who is kind benefits who? Who? Himself. But a cruel man hurts who? Himself. And so not only is he hurting the people that he is with, his family, his wife, his kids, but he's actually hurting himself. He's doing damage to himself. So the way he treats other people actually affects him, not just those other people. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28, it says, He who loves his wife loves himself. I think there's this pattern that you see in high school. Um, Maybe a myth, I don't know, but I think it's partly true, that... Um, quote, the good girl always goes after the bad dude, right? You guys have heard this before, I'm sure. The good girl somehow always goes after the bad dude. And I think here's what happens in high school. Usually the the bad guy is the one who is thinking about himself only and is going to be the guy who's willing to, quote, be bold and ask her out and pursue her at all costs. That usually is the bad guy who ends up doing that kind of thing in high school. The guys who have character and love Jesus, they're just trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian. They're just trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Christ. I'm not ready for that yet. And so they tend to be in the, in the background, and it's the, it's the young, bold, mean, cruel dudes who end up getting the girl because that's the one that asked, right? That's the one that asked. And this is a pattern that you see, I think, in, at the age that you guys are at in high school. But here's the deal, guys. Give it ten years. Give it 10 years, my money is on the dudes who love Jesus and are nice and kind to girls. My money's on that guy to have a wife and kids and to be leading his kids towards Christ, leading his wife towards Christ. My money's on that dude. You know what the other guy ends up, what he ends up being, what he ends up doing? He ends up divorced, if married at all. Ends up addicted to pornography. This is where that guy goes. This is where that guy goes. My money's on the dude who loves Jesus and wants to lead his wife and his kids there. Chapter 27, verse 8. Go ahead and turn there if you can. 27, verse 8. It says that like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who who strays from his home. Like a bird who strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. There are some men who just never take responsibility seriously. And when it comes to their responsibilities, when when their responsibilities get to be too much for them to bear, they just turn and they run. They run away emotionally. They run away to their hobbies. They run away sometimes even physically and just leave their family outright. And so when things get to be too much for them to bear, they just turn their back on their wife and their kids and say, I can't take it anymore. I, I can't handle this responsibility I'm just going to turn and I'm going to run. And they do. And this verse is pointing out that I think that even birds have more common sense than that. We would look at a bird and say, a bird has a natural instinct to care for its young. And, And almost half the men in our culture don't do that. Over half don't do that. Even the ones, maybe like my dad, who are still there. Physically, they were never there emotionally. They were, they were never there spiritually. And so, so many men don't take their responsibility in this area seriously. Here's the deal, guys. Listen to me. When you get married, your priority has to be your family. Your wife, your kids, that has to be your priority. Next to following Christ, it's your, your wife and your kids. That's number two. That has to be your priority. There's this little kid on the uh, soccer team of my son this past, my son played soccer for the first time this past uh, spring, and um, there's this one kid that I noticed um, that his dad never really came to practices or, or many games at all. And talking to the mom, she was just telling me in casual conversation that her husband, who's also a doctor, I'm sure really busy during the week, that he goes and does uh, competitive mountain bike racing almost every weekend. And she was just telling me, she wasn't complaining, she was just telling me that was just where her, the dad is. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And so this little kid is, is playing soccer, he's four years old, and, and the dad on the weekends just, just leaves and goes to Austin or San Antonio or wherever just to go do competitive bike racing because that's what he loves to do. And as a, as a dad, guys, when you marry a woman and, and decide to have kids, your kids and your, your wife and family, they, they become your hobby. You, you sort of forsake. I mean, not that you can't ever do anything, but if, if you're going to do something, it's going to fall in line with their schedule, with their life, going to be part of their life. Because you can't just forsake your responsibility and say, I'm just going to do my thing over here while you guys do your thing over here. That's not the way it's supposed to work. That's not the way it's supposed to work. And so, as a dad, I want want my kids to literally be my hobbies, my family to to be my hobbies. That's the way it's supposed to go. Now, this last verse that I want you to look at, don't go there just yet. Don't don't show them the verse just yet. This last verse, I'll admit to you, is PG-13, and it deals with sexuality, all right? And so... What I plan to do is to read it very, very slowly so as to make you feel very, very uncomfortable as I read this, this next verse. Okay, so are you, are you ready? Are you guys ready? Everyone turn your chairs to the screen. Everyone's like, I better pay attention now, right? All right, so here's, here's this last verse on sexuality. Let's go ahead and, and show the verse that we're talking about here. All right, here's what it says. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Yes, that's in the Bible. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Yes, the Bible just said that, all right? And the reason why I want you to see this verse, I know you're like, everyone's like awkwardly going, can I laugh at that? I mean, I'm not even sure how to act act towards that verse. Go ahead. And, you guys can laugh. Just get it out of your system. It's fine, all right? It's, if you're uncomfortable about that. Um, but I did ask a mother in our ministry, can I read this verse? She's like, please do. Please do. So there you go. I had permission to read that. So But I want you to see this verse for this reason. Listen, I want you to hear this verse for one reason, guys and girls. Some of you in the room, you think God's holding out on you. You think that God is sort of just keeping, that that he's a killjoy. He he does not have your best interest in mind. He he wants to, um, he's anti-pleasure. He's against fun. He's against pleasure. That's what you think about God. This verse proves you wrong. This verse proves you wrong. And so I think sexuality is one of the most confusing things for you guys for this reason because it's the one thing that we say to you that right now the answer is no no no, but once you're married the answer is yes yes yes. Right? It's the only thing in life like that. I mean, murder's not like that. We're not sitting there going, okay, don't kill people. Don't. Just kidding. You can kill all the people that you want to kill. Right? Like it, it's weird because. Things change when you get married that this is completely okay and right to do in the context of marriage, but before that, it's completely and totally wrong, right? And it's the only thing that I can think of that's like that, sexuality. And so what I want the girls to get from this, listen, listen, girls, is that when when you get married, you're, this is what God has for you in the future, when you get married, your bodies belong to each other. They do. Now, not in an abusive way, but they belong to each other. That's God's intent for marriage. That's his intent. So there's no need to fear that part of of who God made you to be, but it needs to happen in the context of marriage. Happens before that, you're completely and totally walking in sin. No questions asked. And for the guys, for the guys, I want you to hear from this. God is not holding out on you. He's not. He's not holding out on you. This is what he has for you, but the timing is everything. It, unless you're in a committed, covenant marriage relationship, and don't try this stuff with me about, like, oh, uh, we're married in our hearts. No. No, you're not. You are not married in your hearts. You cannot pull that with us. But unless you are in a true marriage relationship, this is Sinful. This kind of thing is sinful. But I also want you to see in this verse, I want you to get this. Look at what he says. In verse 19, he says, be intoxicated always in her love. Do you know what intoxicated means? It means drunk. All right? If you look up the, the Hebrew word for that, it literally means drunk. Be drunk with her in her love. Now, in the context of marriage, all right, now I want you to get this. This is the one area of life where it's okay to be drunk in, all right? As long as it's drunk in love for your wife and you're married, God is saying, be intoxicated with your love for her. And here's the crazy part, is that if you think for a minute that God is holding out on you or God has, he's he's a cosmic killjoy, he's against pleasure, he's anti, he created it, right? He made this right? And he's telling you to, if it's your wife, be drunk with love for her, right? God is commanding you to be drunk with love for your wife. And here's the, the crazy part, guys, is that whenever, I mean, you guys know this to be true, but whenever, um, whenever um, someone has a physical relationship with someone else, like they're literally opiates released in your body, in your mind, and it creates this intense emotional bond towards that person. This is why it's meant to be only in marriage. If you're married, God says yes. If you're, if you're not married, God says absolutely not. Absolutely not. And so what I want to let you know, guys, as we kind of wrap up here, I want to look at one last verse in chapter 14, verse 26, for the men. And here's what it says. 14, verse 26, it says this. It says, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. And I bring both the men and the women back to this idea of fear, fearing the Lord. Because if you, if you guys, if you get this idea, if you fear God and you decide to put your life in Christ's hands, submit your life to him, surrender your life to Christ for the rest of your life, if you do that, this verse says that you will have strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. What you decide about Jesus today is going to impact your children and their children and their children. If you decide to follow Jesus today, it will impact generations. And your kids will have a place that's a home and a place that can be a refuge for them. And so what I want to do this morning is, this past week I actually uh, Facebooked and emailed a bunch of people that are part of your leadership team at TBC. They They are your elders, your deacons, people that work at this church. And I said, hey, if you could give me one or two principles that you would tell a high school student before they date or marry, what would that principle be? And I got this flood of emails back, flood of messages back from them. And so what I wanted to do is to um, put that, I, I put that together actually in a, uh, in a um, sort of document. And what I'll do is I'll grab that in a moment and I'll put it up here on the stage. And you guys are supposed to discuss your questions here as, as you as we finish out. But if you can, when you guys finish your discussion, I'll put that document on the, on the stage up here. And I want you guys to grab it before you leave and frame it and put it on your wall. This is what People like Gary and Chase Bowers and Tim Cartwright want you to know a proverb, so to speak, before you decide to date anybody or marry anyone, read it, study it, memorize it. Go ahead and discuss, and I'll have it up here for you on the stage in just a few minutes. Go ahead and discuss.